0: Sharon from your social department, and welcome to Kings Point On Air. Today we have Joe from the Republican Club and his guest, Wayne Clark. Listen in.
1: Hi everybody, this is Joe Patriot, 34, at 1791.com, commonly known as president of the Kings Point Republican Club of Tamarack that was never supposed to be. Diane wishes she could have been here, but she's got some family issues on the phone back and forth to New York, so she says to say hi to everybody, wish everyone well, stay safe, stay strong. I'd like to start this podcast that uh, we've been so blessed to be available to have from Andres, our social director, and his staff. Sharon is here. Uh, Very happy to see the familiar face, with, with the mask, it's okay.
0: Nice to see you,
1: Joe. Oh, thank you, thank you. I want to start this podcast with the Pledge of Allegiance, and of course, if you don't have a flag in front of you, close your eyes and pretend that you have the biggest, most beautiful flag that you ever saw in front of you, and you just repeat to yourself, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And with that, I want to introduce uh, a speaker. Uh, His name is Wayne Clark. He's running for Broward County Sheriff. He's a registered Republican. And uh, we're right in the middle of early voting, but uh, for those of you who intend on going to the polls, Uh, or haven't mailed in your ballot yet, I encourage you to uh, at least listen to Wayne with an open mind and uh, believe that he will be the supporter of our law and order president. So with that, I would like to hand the mic over to Wayne Clark.
2: Thank you, Joe. Uh, Thank you, everyone that's listening and taking time out of your day to pay attention to the important aspects of what's going on in the world. My name is Wayne Clark and I'm running for Broward County Sheriff in this 2020 election. I kicked off my campaign about 15 months ago, uh, primarily because of everything that was going on at the time. And since then, in the last 15 months, as we all know, the world has really changed dramatically. Uh, First and foremost, I am a Republican, have always been a Republican. Um, I grew up in, in a family in North Carolina, and my parents never talked politics. My parents were always instilling conservative values, and you know, I just identify more with the Republican Party for most of the things that I believe in. But I believe that first and foremost, safety is nonpartisan. If any of you leave your house today and you're driving down the road and you get pulled over, I certainly hope that no one asks you what your party affiliation is because truly safety is nonpartisan. I believe in community safety. A little bit about me, um, I have a military background I have a legal background as well as a business background. I'm looking to bring my life experience, my life training, and my values to the Broward Sheriff's Office. Now more than ever, we need a true leader in the Broward Sheriff's Office that has integrity, honesty, and full and complete transparency. Uh, Anyone that's paid any attention to what's going on in the Broward Sheriff's Office in the last few administrations will understand that it's time to bring someone in there to lead the agency and to guide the agency into making sure that the communities as a whole are safe. I want to make sure your community here in Kings Point is safe. I want to make sure that you're able to go shopping, that you're able to go to the movies, that you're able to go and visit family members without having to worry about crime in the community in the county. I want to make sure the entire county is safe. I'm looking to build BSO brand back and make it into an agency that the world looks up to and other agencies throughout the country can role model after. I, In looking at what's going on currently, um, it's, it's vital that we have someone leading that agency that's looking to make sure that everyone is safe. I'm not looking to pander to one particular party. I'm not looking to pick one particular part of the county to only keep safe. I believe that we should have safety in all of the county and not just one aspect of it. In in running for Broward Sheriff's Office, you have to understand what the agency truly is. The Broward Sheriff's Office is a billion dollar public safety agency. The actual place where main part of Broward Sheriff's Office is is called the Public Safety Building. If you look at Broward Sheriff's Office and see what it covers, it covers every part and aspect of Broward County from the seaport to the airport to the Department of Detention, which are the jails, also law enforcement, fire, EMS, dispatch, which is 911 call service. It also covers mental health uh, programs and facilities throughout the county, as well as community service and community outreach programs. Broward Sheriff's Office needs a leader that can come and lead all aspects of that agency And not just one. Broward Sheriff's Office needs someone to come in there and run it more like a a large entity as opposed to just one particular aspect. Right now we have law enforcement officers running the mental health aspect of Broward Sheriff's Office. I want to change that. I want to bring real mental health counselors and facilitators in there to be able to guide that part of the agency to help the community. I believe that we need to bring stronger community health and mental health programs to the community as well as to the agency. I'm looking to broaden and build the mental health treatment and ability to analyze and see the individuals, the first responders of the agency in a way to where they can have mental health counseling and training without having to be shamed or afraid of that. I want to do something similar to the community as well as I want to expand the mental health aspect of the community because you can have all the training in the world for active shooter training, active response training, but what I want to do for school safety is to try to prevent those horrific incidents to occurring prior to someone showing up at a school. I want to be proactive and not reactive and in the community I also want to make sure that everyone feels safe. In in going around Broward County in the last 15 months and even coming here a couple of times to Kings Point, invited by Joe, I've met a lot of individuals in the county that, that said that they don't feel welcomed by the current BSO administration. They don't feel safe. I hear communities saying that they at one time they were allowed to have BSO cars parked in certain areas to help crime prevention, and those things were taken away. I wanna bring those things back. I wanna make sure that you at Kings Point know that we, the Broward Sheriff's Office will be here for you if I'm the leader. Ultimately, an agency is, is determined by its culture and the culture always starts with the leader. It starts at the top. It starts with accountability and it starts with the ability for those individuals to understand underneath the leader what he expects and what he's looking for out of the agency. And what I expect is everyone in the agency to respect the community and to build honor trust and integrity from the community. The community can't respect the men and women of Broward Sheriff's Office if they have non-stop negative issues and non-stop negative morale coming out of there. So I'm looking to change that stuff, Joe.
1: Excellent. Thank you. I, uh, I just want to say that I've been to numerous uh, uh, weekend rallies in and around Coral Springs. I've been to Davie, uh, down to uh, Oakland Park Boulevard in Oakland Park, uh, where there have been rallies to support the police. And uh, I've seen Wayne at many of those rallies. He's out there with, uh, with, with us being the American people. It's not necessarily uh, supporters of the president or not. It's just people that support the police. And I'm uh, proud to say I've stood with him on, on different occasions, and uh, it, it's, it's impressive. I do have a question for you, uh, Wayne, because uh, many of the people... Uh, that i 've come in contact with are very concerned about uh, of course, the Second Amendment, but also in the state of Florida, we have uh, a red flag law that a lot of people don 't uh, not only not understand but don't uh, the ones who do understand do not uh, appreciate the the way it was produced, I guess or put out there and um, it's best if you can maybe address that for a couple of minutes and just explain to the folks uh, about the red flag law and where you stand on it also thank you
2: sure thanks joe and and i'm first and foremost let me let me be very clear i am very pro first responder pro police Uh, i do not believe in whatsoever defunding the police i do believe that there are ways that you can allocate a billion dollar budget to make the county safer but as far as the movement to defund the police, I'm 100% against it. With regard to the Second Amendment, uh, I believe strongly in the Second Amendment. I'm ex-military, it's public record, I do have a concealed weapons permit, so I I strongly encourage um, enforcement and uh, the the Second Amendment. I, I believe it's something that we all have that right. With regard to red flag laws, I get that question a lot. What a lot of people don't understand how it came pl- came to place in, in Florida, was it was a very rushed job. Typically laws come into place when they're passed in July and October. This law came into effect after the horrific murders at MSD. And it, it was days and not months of, of legislati- le- legislature. Uh, this, this law actually came in place in March. It didn't come into to place in July or October, it was rushed. There were no studies done. There were no ana- ana- analysis, um, analytical data, uh, uh, attributed or anything like that. It was it was something to where um, it was a what, what we call it's a knee jerk reaction in in passing laws. I don't believe that that's what should happen when you're looking to keep a community safe. I believe there are things that you can put into place to make the community safer, but when you're legislating for laws to rush something that important. Uh, I completely and totally disagree with. Uh, I do believe that we do need a mechanism if someone like a Nicholas Cruz um, obtains a firearm. I do think we need to address from a mental health standpoint things, but I am not a fan of the current mental uh, the current red flag laws. I think they were rushed. I think there needs to be more studies. Uh, it was a bipartisan thing through the Florida legislature when it came into place um, and speaking to several people about it since then that were involved, they all understand that they think it went a little too far and that there needs to be some changes. Uh, will that happen? That's something that probably will work out through the, through the, um, you know, through the court system at, at some point. Uh, but, but the red flag laws, I, I understand them and I understand the other side of the argument. But I think with the second amendment, we have the right to bear arms. We have the right to own firearms legally. Um, you know, I do believe in background checks to ensure that, that, you know, we have the right people that are purchasing firearms, but I don't believe the current red flag laws are, are there um, the, the way they should be. I understand the premise behind it, Joe, but I think there needs to be some changes. Uh, you know, there was an incident about 12 months ago where, BSOs, where a gentleman down in Weston area Uh, posted a meme on a Facebook page and BSO actually showed up full full SWAT gear with this guy's house, caused him to almost have a heart attack. He ended up being transported to a local medical facility because of it. He he was terrified for his life because he was terrified that he was going to get shot or murdered um, all because he put a meme on the internet. And what ended up happening was the meme was put there Um, in response to something that someone in Weston had said on on a city council level. Uh, It was not put there to threaten anybody or anything like that. Uh, It was it was a lady who didn't like him for political reasons, because she was another political party uh, than than he is the opposite party. And so she reported him. Um, To me, that was inappropriate, because if, if I'm the sheriff of Broward Sheriff's Office, and someone calls in like that, it's very easy to do a background check. It's very easy to look into someone. And it's very easy to know if they are a violent uh, offender in the past and and what their history is. This gentleman had no identifiers that would ever identify him as being violent or deadly. And instead, the current administration sent a full SWAT team. If you wanna send someone out to ask questions, send a couple of detectives out, send a couple of plainclothes guys out and say, hey, we wanna ask you some questions. Um, It could have been handled differently. So, you know, currently, you know, it doesn't look like the current red flag laws are being abused too much by law enforcement, but it's certainly there. And and if you have the wrong person leading the agency, it can be a huge slippery slope, and it can be something used in, in an inappropriate way. Thank you
1: very much. Uh, that was probably one of the most important questions
2: uh, that many people have for you,
1: and I, I appreciate you being here. Uh, this is our all for us. It's our first time doing a podcast, so uh, I guess it's. Uh, It's, uh, again, a blessing that we have this available to us thanks to uh, Andres and uh, his staff, and uh, I'm glad that you were here for this. And we wish you luck in the uh, primary election, and I encourage everybody to uh, uh, go into the... uh, voting with an open mind and remember uh, Wayne was big enough to step up to the plate and admit he's a registered Republican knowing that there might be a lot of folks <laughs> listening to this broadcast that are not registered Republicans so uh, uh,
2: Joe, we, let, me, let me say one thing go ahead so yeah. if, if you have a mail-in ballot I, I spoke to the supervisor of the elections uh, office this morning and they're currently canvassing the mail-in ballots this this year we had over 400,000 requests in Broward County please fill in the mail-in ballot correctly. They're finding that people are using highlighters and things like that. It doesn't matter what party you're gonna vote for or what candidate you're gonna vote for. For me, ex-military, I want you to vote. I would love to have your vote, but whoever you're gonna vote for, do it the right way because they're kicking those ballots out as we speak right now. So it's it's very important to use a black pen, do it the right way. Thank Sorry you for, to interrupt you. No, no, that.
1: thank you for the info and thank you thank for your you. service, most important. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Um, at this point, I'm going to introduce uh, a podcast from our guest speaker, who is not here, but she was able to uh, uh, do a podcast for us at home. Uh, you will, you know who Joyce Kaufman is, and she was uh, nice enough to uh, uh, do this podcast for us, and I'm, I'm uh, honored that she would uh, take the time. It's a, it's a good. Um, it's a good podcast. I've listened to it, and I sent it to uh, Andres ahead of time, so he got get to hear it. Uh, and the title of her podcast was, uh, um, of course, it slips my mind at the moment, <laughs> but it, it's not aimed at any one particular group. Um, for those of you who know Joyce, uh, she's a powerful speaker. She's been on the radio for over 30 years, and uh, she's quite a lady. And you can catch her weekdays on WFTL. 8.50, 8.50 a.m. from 12 to 1, Monday through Friday. So uh, at that point, I'm going to let, uh, let them play the podcast for you, and then I'm going to do my closing after Joyce.
0: Well, let me start by thanking my friend Joe Duva and his wife and all of the people at King's Point who have invited me back over and over again to speak And a special thank you to Andre Gonzalez, who's making this podcast possible. Because, of course, with social distancing and all of the rest of these rules and regulations we are suddenly subjected to, the only way I can come to you is through this podcast. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen. And more importantly, I'd really appreciate you telling other people in your community to listen as well, because I think there's a message for everybody in what I'm about to talk about. And I think that it's not a conservative only message. It's not a Republican message. It's a, it's a message for all Americans. And it's important that we share these messages. Now is a really critical time in our history. And I want to start by giving credit to some of the great writers that have influenced me and some of the things that I have learned over the last couple of months as I watched Americans quietly give up more and more of their rights as though somehow government was entitled to take away my God-given rights. I want to tell you the story of a man named Jeslo Milocic. He was a future Nobel Prize winning poet who had just defected from Poland, and he began work in 1951 on a book called The Captive Mind. Even as Stalinist totalitarianism was tightening its grip on Eastern Europe, Many Western European intellectuals were real excited about the brave new world of Soviet communism and looked at it as a model for overcoming bourgeois forces, which, in their view, had actually caused World War II. Milosevic was living in Paris, and he wrote his book, which was published in 1953, which was the year of my birth, to warn the West of what happens to the human mind and soul in a totalitarian system. Milotswitz knew from experience, having lived through the communist takeover, how totalitarianism strips men and women of their liberty, transforming them into affirmative cogs in service of the state and obliterating what had taken centuries of Western political development to achieve. Totalitarianism not only enslaved people physically, but it crippled their spirit. It did so by replacing ordinary human language in which words signify things in the outside world with ideologically sanctioned language in which words signify the dominant party's ever-changing ideas of what is and is not true. Since the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, there've been protests all over the nation which quickly turned into riots all over the nation. And now they've been hijacked by the neo-Marxist left, morphing into an all-out assault on American cities and institutions. This assault is underpinned by an audacious attempt to rewrite history that turns specific past events into weapons, not only to overpower political opponents, but also to recast all of American history as a litany of racial transgressions. The radicals have turned race into a lens through which to view the country's history. And not simply because they're obsessed with race, they've done so because it allows them to identify and separate those groups that deserve affirmation in their view and those that do not. What is taking place is the resegregation of America, the endpoint of which will be the rejection of everything the civil rights movement stood for. What is driving the radical protesters and rioters, who are enabled and manipulated by the digital intelligentsia, and the press, and an expanding segment of the political and business classes, is absolute sheer contempt for the freedom of anyone who fails to comport with their image of a just society. In authoritarian systems, those in power seek to proscribe certain forms of political speech and social activity. Totalitarians claim unconditional authority to reach deep into each person's conscience." They prescribe an interpretation of the world and they dictate the language with which we citizens are then permitted to express that interpretation. A Little bit like Orwellian 1984, don't you think? Authoritarian regimes leave largely untouched the private civic sphere of human activity. Totalitarians destroy traditional value systems and then they reorder the culture. That's why they're harder to overthrow. It's a poor name, progressivism, but it has inspired shrill demands to dismantle police forces and to destroy statues. And that's only a small manifestation of a massive project aimed at the re-education of the American people. And the goal of this project is to negate the story of how the American Republic really came about and to replace it with a tale anchored exclusively in race categories and in narratives of oppression. The nature of this exercise, with its sledgehammer rhetoric, it obliterates complexities in favor of one-dimensional, correct interpretations. That's as close to Marxist agitprop as anyone can get. So let me ask you a question. Why do you think American elites Who might be expected to favor preserving the nation that has elevated them, why would they support the effort to dismantle it? Their thinking seems to be that the radicals destroying monuments and issuing wholesale denunciations of America's past are wreaking destruction on ordinary Americans and their history, not on the elites and their ideology. You see, today's elites, today's academics, today's Hollywood types, today's NBA basketball players, well, there's a rule. Do not believe that they have an obligation to serve the public. They only rule the public. And so they're not upset. They don't disprove of college students toppling statues on federal land, mind you, or on looters raiding supermarkets. To criticize them would open you to the charge of populism, and of course, the big taboo, racism. Yet, the elites are playing a very dangerous game right now. When you cancel things like historical and living figures alike, you increasingly mirror what happened under communism in the Soviet bloc, where the accusation, just the accusation of being out of step with the party was enough to end one's career and nullify one's reputation. This is about much more than statues in history. Those who control the symbols of political discourse can dominate the culture and they can control the collective consciousness. And if you doubt this, ask yourself why there has been so little backlash from ordinary non-elite Americans. It's because our sense of self has been progressively deconstructed. We feel in our bones, the wrongness of the violence being visited on the nation, but we don't even have a language with which to speak against it. The resegregation of American society is undemocratic, and it's un-American. It envisions a social hierarchy based on your DNA, It also is incompatible with individual freedom and a constitutional government. And that's why you have this drive to overhaul the U.S. Constitution, to rewrite textbooks, and to restructure museums by race and sex quotas. Democracy cannot survive in a society in which winners and losers are adjudicated arbitrarily. According to criteria, beyond their individual control. Any society that's built around the principle of skin color will become a case system in which accident, not merit, will allocate value and benefit. Civil society will be buried once and for all. These current radical trends, they carry the seeds of violence unseen in this country since the Civil War. The activists we're watching now in Portland and in Seattle and in other American cities insist on the dominance of their ideological precepts, brooking no alternative. We're not allowed to debate. We're not allowed to show up on college campuses. Our books are not to be read. Our thoughts are not to be voiced. Such absolutism forces Americans away from the realm of political compromise into one of unrelenting axiology, with one side claiming that they've got the monopoly on virtue and decency, while the other is accepted and expected to view its status as perpetually evil and thus assume a permanent penitent stance for all the real and imagined misdeeds across history. That's right. I'm supposed to bow down and apologize for things I never did to people who didn't exist and who never knew me, including people who never suffered under things like Jim Crowism or under things like slavery. And I, of course, an immigrant family, never participated in those things. But somehow, because I'm white, I'm expected to bow down and say I'm sorry for something I never did. Only when the state creates a space for an unbiased debate over history can a discussion really take place, which won't be hindered by dogma or by uh, ideology. Only then can a society move towards a consensus on a shared understanding of its past and how its collective memory really should be shaped. We need to not forget the sins of the past because once we do, we are destined to repeat them. The U.S. is roiled right now by spasms of violence and intolerance because government at all levels from the public education systems to the states that allow universities to promulgate speech codes and safe places. For goodness sake, safe places? I thought we sent our young people to college so that they would learn how to debate, so they could wrestle with complex ideas, so they could become critical thinkers. And now we have to give them safe places where they won't be subjected to opinions that don't mirror the ones the professors believe. It's crazy, and court decisions that define constitutionally protected speech as in effect everything but political speech, well, it has abdicated its duty to protect the public space. Children are rampaging through the cities because all of the adults have left the room. We have ourselves to blame for this. We weren't paying attention. As a matter of fact, Some of us were directly responsible for the demands that were placed on the effete intellectuals who became the professors that we either studied under or that we sent our children and grandchildren to study under, as if they somehow knew more than the rest of us, as if somehow their words mattered more than the words of a plumber or the words of a dancer or the words of an artist. As a matter of fact, art in and of itself has become censored at every turn. It's okay to graffiti obscene words and profanity on a federal building, but it's not a great idea to try and paint a painting of a religious icon. As a matter of fact, there are members of the BLM movement right now who say that all images of Jesus Christ and Madonna Uh, the Mother Mary, must be taken down because they are inappropriate and that they are culturally offensive to half of the people living in this country. I'd like to know which half. It must be the same half that's not going to church because they shut down most of the churches. It must be the same half who think it's okay to protest. You won't get COVID-19 at a protest. Oh, wait a minute unless that protest is against government interference in your business or in your life, then you might get it. But if you're protesting anything that the elites agree with, well, then you're not gonna catch it, are you? And if you're going to church to watch the former president, Barack Obama, turn a eulogy at a funeral for John Lewis into a political rally, that's okay, you won't get sick. But if you try to go to church and simply sing a few hymns and hear a pastor speak life into this very dead condition we find ourselves, well, then you could be vulnerable to the COVID-19 virus. Like somehow it knows the difference. America's in the throes of a destructive ideological experiment subjected to a sweeping and increasingly state-sanctioned reordering of our collective memory with the increasingly totalitarian left given free reign to dominate public discourse. Milosz, remember I started out with a poet, he died in 2004. And what he would see if he could see us now is an American mind bloated by a steady diet of identity politics and group grievance served up by ideologues in schools all across our nation. These ideologues have nearly succeeded in remaking our politics and our culture, and then they're reinforced by a media, for the most part, in thrall to groupthink, by credentialed bureaucrats, elected officials as well, and politicians who shaped in the monochrome factories of the intellectual uniformity that are America's institutions of higher learning." Thinking of sending that kid to Harvard or Yale or Stanford or Columbia? Yeah, I made that mistake and I don't want you to make that mistake. Don't allow your children and grandchildren to be indoctrinated because the last few critical thinkers that are left did not come out of those institutions. American society is faced with a very stark binary choice. And I'm not talking about your gender. Being a non-binary individual is a bunch of hooey. You were born either a male or a female. And even that they want to take away from us. They talk about science all the time. Oh, the Republicans are the party that's anti-science. No, I think anybody who tells a seven-year-old girl that she has a right to declare herself a seven-year-old boy and take testosterone to turn her precious little body into a male. Well, I'll tell you what I think about that at another time. But trust me, we're faced with a stark binary choice and it's not what gender we are. Either we push back against this unrelenting assault of the neo-Marxist narrative, or we yield to the totalitarian impulse that's now in full view in politics. It's no longer okay to wait for the next election or to pin our hopes on some silent majority that will eventually stop the madness. There may not be such a majority. If there is, its members may no longer be able to articulate what they see unfolding around them. It's hard to call things by their real names in a society whose elites have insisted on calling looters and arsonists protesters, on calling national monuments symbols of racism. And the victims of looting and arson are the beneficiaries of white privilege. The challenge is massive, but it starts with the simple act of calling things by their proper names. I refuse to cede any more ground on these issues. I am no longer going to accept what the elites, in particular, those in Hollywood, in the media, and in the political class, or that business class that has dominated the internet and decided what's free speech and what's fair speech, what's information and what's misinformation based on their ideological beliefs. It's time to fight back. It's time to push back. It's time to take their money from them. It's time for us to have a revolution of our own. It's not enough to meet at meetings and to grouse about the same things we've been grousing about for the last two decades. It's not enough to reject one class of politicians and embrace another class of politicians. It is time for us to take back the power This country was designed so that the power was in the hands of the people, and the people were able to lead the political class. That's why we're not a democracy. This is a republic. It means we are represented by elected officials that we choose. And if those elected officials go off to Tallahassee or to Washington, D.C., and don't deliver our wishes to the government, then we ought to rebuke them and unelect them. This business of putting people back in office decade after decade who don't deliver on the people's needs has got to stop. For years, I argued against term limits. I said the founding fathers gave us term limits. They're called elections. Until we got to this stage where I see that elections are won by the person with the deepest pockets and with the committee assignments. And the only way you get committee assignments is for you to be hanging around long enough and your party to get in control and them to be doled out to you, even when you don't deserve them. And if you don't think I'm right, I want you to just close your eyes for one minute and think about Adam Shifty Schiff being the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. That is proof positive that they no longer answer to the people, but the people are expected to answer to them. I'm not gonna give you a whole long running dialogue about what a deep state is, because whether or not you believe in it, we have proven now beyond the shadow of a doubt, there is a bureaucratic class in America's politics today that seems almost unstoppable. They get away with things that are absolutely unconstitutional. They are defended by the very office of the White House time and time again. And I'm talking about both the last president and even this current president who tends to overlook the fact that there are people sitting in the DOJ right now who don't belong there. And there are people sitting in Congress right now who have been pardoned and excused of the worst crimes possible. First and foremost, abusing the public trust, spending the public's money in ways that they had no business doing. Right now, we continue to build up trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars worth of debt, debt that we'll never have to pay. That's debt that our children and grandchildren are going to have to pay. And that's under My favorite president that that's taking place. And we're no longer kicking the road down or or kicking the can down the road. We have run out of road. We're now just kicking the can. I am going to leave you with this last analogy, and it's one that I think you'll understand and will take to heart. What we've done to future generations is kind of like me walking into the bank and I want to buy a property. And I say to the bank manager or the loan officer that I wanna buy XYZ property for $5 million. And the loan officer says, well, uh, what kind of terms are we talking about? What kind of collateral do you have? And I say, oh, well, wait a second. I have no intention of actually paying back this loan. If you look over my shoulder, you'll see my son Derek and my daughter Jenya and my grandchildren, they're gonna pay it back. They're going to be the ones that are gonna be saddled with the payment of this loan. Do you think for one moment that that loan officer is gonna give me the five or $500 million I need? You bet he's not going to. We cannot continue to go to the Federal Reserve and to go to the elected officials and tell them to keep spending money that we don't have and that our children and grandchildren will be responsible for it. It's not just irresponsible. It's absolutely un-American. So if you think you're a patriot, if you've been calling yourself a patriot for years now, if you think you've been standing up for all of the principles that the founding fathers wrote down in that constitution, wrote down in those federalist papers, well then, it's time to stop talking and it's time to start acting. This may be the last election where you have a choice. After this, one party rule kicks in and we will never, ever have a choice again. Don't play around. Don't, don't mail in your vote. You show up at the polls. And you make sure that you make a decision that you can live with. But more importantly, a decision that your children and grandchildren can live with. Thanks again to Joe and all of the members of the Kings Point Club for inviting me here today. Stay well. And may God bless you. And may God bless America.
1: Okay, everyone. That was Joyce. Uh, wish you could have seen her in person. I wish she was sitting next to me, but uh, hopefully someday we'll have that opportunity uh, to get back into the clubhouse, and I'll have her back as a, as a guest speaker again at some future notice. Uh, for those of you who don't know about Joyce Kaufman, uh, she's been a, uh, a an active lady down here in South Broward for a long time. Um, and um, in... Her husband and herself uh, have a uh, congregation uh, in uh, Fla- uh, East, East uh, Fort Lauderdale, um, so you could, you know, look her up, and uh, um, you know that might be something you might want to uh, look into in the future. Uh, in closing, I just want to uh, bring up a couple, just a couple of points. I know time is limited, and I appreciate what we have here. Um, There are a number of news outlets that um, folks might want to uh, check out because uh, you might be getting bored. I know everybody's been home on the internet lately. Uh, My emails are overwhelming. (laughs) I'm sure many can say the same. But uh, I personally have a couple of news outlets that I just want to uh, pass to you. I mean, many of you get my emails with the forwards from some of the different news outlets, but uh, on your own, you could... uh, Go on Google, check out Breitbart, PJ Media, Daily Wire, Daily Caller, the Epic Times newspaper. Uh, If you Google these sites uh, for info, uh, it's because you're being maybe blocked from other information on television. And that's important because, again, regardless of what you hear, there are a number of items that go on that I myself can say that... uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I go online to check out what happened the day before, you might not find that the news outlets that you're listening to are giving you the whole truth about what's going on in the country. Um, the other thing is, in closing, um, that we, we, we Americans, we're comprised of the silent majority out there. The silent, silent majority will get to the polls in November. And the silent majority is not just affiliated with one party. No one knows who you voted for once you go into that little cubby hole there. And uh, I just think press everybody to stand strong and push back. Uh, God bless our exceptional United States of America. We the people, we will send our message on November 4th. And with that, I want to say thank you. I'm uh, very happy for this opportunity. And uh, I just uh, want to thank all of those who are out there listening. Uh, regardless of whether you like me or not or listen to me or not, <laughs> I just want to make sure that uh, everybody understands we're all Americans first. And here at Kings Point, we're all neighbors. We will see each other at the uh, clubhouse. We'll see each other in the gym, in the pool. And hopefully some of the... Uh, some of the uh, Things that have happened over the past few months can be a a blip in history. After we get back to the uh, not the new normal, but the uh, uh, let's get back to the way we were before. Let's uh, let's pray for that, all of us. Thank you very much. God bless.